Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Point After Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Curtis, joined today with my boy, Dana Zach. What's going on, Dana? Happy Thursday, happy Thursday. Yeah, the Super Bowl's over, which means football season is is done. I just, I can't believe it. It went by so fast. Um, your Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions for the second time in four years. But before we even get started, I have to say something. The Kansas City Chiefs are not the only team that's getting a, a ring uh, this time of year. <laughs> My boy Dana Zach proposed to his girlfriend on Valentine's Day this week. So congratulations, Dana. You and Sam. Thank you. It's absolutely fantastic. So rings all around. It's it's that season of of rings, man. I, you know, I felt if Mahomes and Kelsey is going to get one, you know, I might as well get one and give it away, right? That's right. That's right. Congratulations. Very excited Thank you. for you. Thank you guys. very much. So, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, Dana and I haven't really talked uh, about the Super Bowl since it happened. Uh, we, we watched it separately, and uh, we're waiting for our, our podcast to kind of talk about and deliberate what happened. But in my opinion, like, one of the best Super Bowls I've ever seen. I, I thought it was incredible. Um, if you remember from last week's podcast, I predicted a, a low-scoring field goal fest. It was anything but. Uh, Dana said it would be a high-scoring affair, and he was spot on. So, um, you know, final score of the game, 38-35, shootout, back and forth. Um, and again, last week we talked, it was going to be a matchup between probably the two best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And, and that was Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. And, you know, whatever side won, that's who was going to be the, the Super Bowl MVP. They both had incredible performances. You know, I, I was very skeptical about their health going into this game. And they clearly uh, did everything that they could in their power to, to rehab themselves and get themselves right. You know, Patrick Mahomes had a little bit of a scare in the middle of the game, came off limping right before halftime. Um, but, man, he toughed it out, and I think he proved that he deserved the MVP award this year. He he certainly he found a way for his Chiefs to win, even though Jalen Hurts just had a tremendous game. So, Dana, talk a little bit about just the, the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. Um, talk about this back-and-forth epic showdown of offenses which is kind of ironic because Philadelphia coming into this game they were really known as a complete team they had a a really stout defense Um, I think I saw a stat during the Super Bowl that said something like this Eagles team ranks third in NFL history for most sacks in a season Um, they didn't get one in this game against Patrick Mahomes so it was kind of surprising in regards of how little defense there was. Typically, you think of a Super Bowl as kind of a tight, cagey affair. This this was uh, exciting. Big plays. Um, Jalen Hurts got outside of the pocket and ran. Patrick Mahomes got outside the pocket and ran. So talk a little bit about those two guys first uh, before we go on to other positions. Um, yeah, honestly, I uh, you know I was texting our buddy Matt. Uh, who has yet to be on the podcast, but we've talked about him plenty of times. Um, I was texting him during the game, and, you know, as they were going back and forth, I, I 
I said to him, I was like, hey, whichever team wins, that quarterback's going to be the MVP. And I, I still wholeheartedly believe that. I mean, with Jalen Hurts throwing for over 300 yards, um, you know, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes obviously did really well. He had a really good connection with Travis Kelsey with the, for the first touchdown, for the Kansas City first touchdown after, um, you know, Jalen Hurts ran one in. Um, but it was, it was just absolutely crazy because this game could have been so much different if, you know, the, there wasn't the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Um, you know, like that really put the Eagles behind a little bit when they were just marching down the field over and over again. But the, the actual performance-wise, like both players played extremely well. Patrick Mahomes, um, <clears throat> in my opinion, kind of did more of what he needed to do to get the job done. Um, I, he got a lot of help from his defense, his special teams with uh, Kadarius Tony having the new Super Bowl record for the longest punt return that right. put them in great field goal position. I think they were like the eight or the six. Um, they were in the red zone. He brought them to the red zone, which made it a nice and easy you know, drive for Patrick Mahomes to set it up a, a pass to Pacheco for the touchdown. Um, so, you know, I think that that really changes the the whole part of the game because say, for example, if, if Mahomes had to make two more drives, let's just say they, I mean, obviously this is all speculation because it happened. That's going to change. But if Mahomes, this outcome could have been different if they wouldn't have got that, that interception or was it a fumble or was it an interception? I think it was a fumble, right? Fumble. Yeah. Fumble. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, but I just ducking myself. So, you know, if they didn't get that and let's just say they punted instead, well then the chiefs might've had to make a drive down the field, not saying Mahomes couldn't do it, but you know, those little things change the complete outcome of the entire game and shift momentum so heavily because, you know, Philly was at the half 24 to 14. So they had a 10 point lead over Kansas city and, you know, that is a huge, huge difference um, in, a, in a Super Bowl game, as we saw Tom Brady come back a few years ago against Atlanta <clears throat> to, to spoil that one. But both guys played absolutely excellent. I think Patrick Mahomes deserved um, the MVP. But as, as I mentioned, if the Eagles won, I think Jalen would have got it without a doubt. Three rushing touchdowns, 304 passing yards. Um, you know, that was he played absolutely in, incredibly. Um, especially with 70 yards rushing, like he did the best and everything that he possibly could uh, to try to win them this game. Yeah, a few things on on Jalen Hurts. Number one, he's the first quarterback in NFL history to run for three touchdowns in a game. Um, so setting records. Um, he also, um, I saw this weird stat where it's like, the last 17 quarterbacks that have lost their first Super Bowl have never returned to a Super Bowl. Ooh. Yeah. So, like, they showed this big, long list, and it was people like Jake DeLome, who we know as Browns fans because he eventually became the Browns quarterback for a few years when he was with Carolina. <clears throat> it was people like – um Rex Grossman with the Chicago Bears when they lost to – uh, you know, the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning, um, which, you know, I thought, okay, those two quarterbacks, they're not really, you know, MVP, you know, uh, Hall of Fame style quarterbacks. But then you have Joe Burrow that's, you know, still has a long way to go in his career. And I, I have this feeling he's going to get back there at least one more time. Uh, and then Jalen Hurts. I, I just think these are different level quarterbacks, but 
Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting stat um, because it's the last 17 quarterbacks that lost their first Super Bowl. That's they haven't been back to one. So, and and that was going back to like the 80s, which I thought was incredible. That you know, to to give props where they're due is we're, since we're talking about quarterbacks, uh, Chad Henney has uh, announced yeah. on ESPN is going to. Yeah, did you see how he did it after the game? I did not know. No, he had a he had a nice Bud Light in his hand, and he was in the end zone holding the trophy. And <laughs> like, Peace out. I'm done. <laughs> He's talking Bud Light, so good for him. You know, and on a win, right? Absolutely. But moving on from the quarterback position, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations that come from this game. And, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It is the biggest game that most of these guys have ever played in their life. But, you know, a big difference that I think set Kansas City apart is they had some guys that haven't really done anything all season step up in big ways. And they also had rookies step up in big ways. So, you know, Isaiah Pacheco clearly seems to be the lead back in Kansas City. Um, yes, CEH was hurt for the second half of the year while he was activated for this game. I don't think he even got a touch in this game. No, he did not. Um, so, you know, heading into next season, do you think this is Pacheco's job to lose? Um do you think CEH comes back into the mix and kind of takes away from Pacheco? Should Pacheco be going a little bit higher on draft boards? And then on the, the Philly side, I hate to say I told everyone, but like Miles Sanders had quite a dud of a game. Um, seven carries for 16 yards, uh, 2.3 uh, yards per carry. I mean, it was to the point where Kenneth Gainwell – you know, had as many touches as he did. Boston Scott got in there and, you know, had almost as good a production as Miles Sanders on half the touches. Do you think the Eagles eventually just walk from Miles Sanders and they find something else? They just go with Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott, or you think it was just a bad game for Miles Sanders? So running back conversation from you, Dana. Uh, I'm going to Google right now, but do you by any chance know Miles Sanders' contract, what it's looking like? Is he a free agent after this year? Do you have any idea? I believe he's a free agent heading into – He is. He is an unrestricted free agent. Um, Yeah, so in regards to Pacheco, um, you know, for talking about draft-wise, because this is a fantasy podcast, um, you know, I think we need to wait to see what they – what Kansas City does in the the offseason. Because they could easily go ahead and sign um, a veteran running back like, a, you know, say a Josh Jacobs. They could easily go out and get someone like that. And then at that point, I believe if they do get a veteran of that kind of caliber, then Pacheco is just going to be, you know, kind of like CEH. He's just going to be on the back burner. He's not going to be somebody that I would draft unless that person got hurt. Um, so I would like to see exactly where that, where, what they do with that backfield. Uh, if they don't, I would put Pacheco at the number one spot for their depth chart. So he would be somebody that I would consider grabbing. Um, You know, it it really depends on, on where he falls. If he's my running back two or flex position, I would be, you know, happy with that. Maybe in the seventh round, sixth, seventh round, if you can get him around there, maybe even a little bit later. Um, Again, all depends on how the draft does. And when we, we start doing mock drafts and I start seeing, you know, where other people are falling, that'll give me a better idea. Um, but as for the Kansas City backfield, honestly, if I were them, I would consider 
if you want to make another run while you still have Patrick Mahomes and while Travis Kelsey is still looking like Travis Kelsey in his prime and not letting up and you have, you know, if you able to keep a lot of your core guys, I think that that might be one part of your game. If you don't go and get a receiver is to bolster that running back room and have, get somebody that could, you know, really make a splash in the backfield, not saying Pacheco hasn't, cause I actually really like him, but um, you know, that's, that that's something that's always always tough just because we don't know exactly you know what's going to happen and like in regards to ceh like he was the star at the beginning of the year and all it took was one injury and pacheco to do well for him to just no longer be relevant i I think that that trend for that backfield for ceh is going to continue so um i don't foresee ceh getting drafted you know anytime soon um you know i think he was drafted I don't remember where he was taken. You took him, correct? Would you take him in like the fifth round, sixth round-ish? Yeah, fifth, sixth round, somewhere in there. Okay, yeah. So, like, I think that that potentially could be where Pacheco goes. I don't know how much of a better runner he is. But if he does get the sheer volume and being in this Kansas City backfield, as I always talk about, I want somebody a part of that backfield, a part of that offense. So, if you're a fan of Kansas City, definitely somebody, you know, to kind of keep your eye on and keep keep an eye on that backfield. As for the Eagles, you know, I mentioned the name Josh Jacobs, and I still think that that's a route that they should take. I don't dislike Miles Sanders. I think Miles Sanders is a very average to above average running back. I think that you would be able to re-sign him for a decent amount Um, because I believe – is this the end of – this is his rookie contract? Is that correct? Uh, That sounds right. Okay. Um, So, you know, he's going to end up getting a decent contract if that is the case, and – you know, I don't know if you really want to pay him just because I believe you need more of a, if you're Philly, I think you need more of between the tackles kind of guy to help alleviate some of that short yardage pressure from Jalen Hurts only because of, you know, injury wise. Like I don't remember the statistic, but he's, I mean, Jalen Hurts has been amazing on fourth and one, like that whole offense really knows how to run the fourth and one quarterback sneak. And it's, it's really fun to watch, especially when they did it multiple times for touchdowns and for first downs in the Super Bowl even and all throughout the year I think they had like a 90 I think it was like a 91 or a 92 percent completion rate on it they only missed it a few times which is absolutely incredible when you're talking about fourth down when you could be giving up great field position or you know losing points so I think getting a bigger back like Josh Jacobs or you know like when the Patriots went and got LeGarrette Blunt, like that year when he toasted opposing defenses and he went off for double digit touchdowns. I think if they get somebody like that, somebody that's a little bit bigger in that backfield, I think that'll help. That'll help out Jalen hurts a lot because it gives them another guy that could, you know, toss a, toss a little block back there. Maybe even, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is really good at blocking. So if the, if the, the Cowboys are willing to move, are ready to move on from him, if you sign him for like a vet minimum and have him come block, even if you have him just come and throw a block or, run the ball a few times. Again, somebody who's good or on the goal line who has a nose for getting a few yards. I don't think for fantasy wise, I want that personally, but that's just the name that I'm throwing out there as a, as an example, like a Josh Jacobs, who's going to cost you money. But again, these teams, these two teams are both Super Bowl ready. We just saw it. Like they're ready to make the push to the Super Bowl. And I think getting a really good running back to, you know, get those extra yardages and to take a little bit of pressure off Jalen, I think will help them exponentially. The Eagles that is. Yeah. And just on a side note, I have to, to give props where props are due to, to Jarek McKinnon at the end of the game where he easily could have run in, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, you know, 
been able to tell everyone for the rest of his life that he scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, but he decided to go down at the one um, to waste out the rest of the time so they could kick the field goal to win. Like, just a total team move there. I thought that was really cool. And, you know, not I don't think there's too many guys in the NFL that might have passed up an opportunity to score a touchdown in, in the Super Bowl. I mean, even if they scored a touchdown, more than likely they were still going to win. But um, it, it allowed the clock to be ran out the rest of the, the way, and um, he got his rings. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, and I'll group in tight end because Travis Kelsey had himself a day, which I think was expected. But there were a few surprises. Like Kansas City targeted Juju Smith-Schuster nine times, seven receptions, 53 yards. Probably the best game he had in a Kansas City uniform, honestly. Like he he's definitely been lackluster the entire season. And then to step up on the biggest stage of his career, um, he might have earned himself a short-term contract back in Kansas City uh, because uh, it was looking like he might have been on his way out looking for a new home. Um, you know, and then not a ton of receptions or targets for that matter, but Kadarius Tony, who they traded for midseason from New York, um, scored on a really nice, I guess you could call it trick play in the red zone. Um, I guess, uh, according to Andy Reid, the play was called Corn Dog. Um, I, I don't know why it was called Corn Dog, but it was a really well run play where they kind of had an outside slant come in and it took away a defender and just left Kadarius Tony wide open. And uh, Mahomes threw it out to him and he was able to essentially walk in. Uh, and same with Sky Moore. He made a really nice catch in the end zone for a touchdown. Um, he didn't really have himself a great rookie year, but to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl as a rookie, uh, even if it was your only reception and only target of the game, I, I think he's got a, a bright future moving forward. It, it was disappointing to see Marcus Valdez-Scantling have one target and zero receptions um, because he was really their guy throughout the playoffs. And I don't know if that was Philadelphia shadowed him or – you know, Philadelphia's got a really nice defense, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson is, is a really tough corner. So it, he might have just been shut down that whole game, and they had to rely on some other people. Um, but that's kind of the nice thing about Kansas City, and we, we've talked about it numerous times where Mahomes said, sorry, it's not going to be pretty for fantasy, but each week we're going to have something a little bit different. So, um you know, I guess I want your opinion on, do you think the Chiefs will re-sign Juju? Do you think they'll, you know, run with Kadarius, Tony, Sky, Sky Moore? Or do you think they might be in the market, and, and Marcus Vallis-Scanley for that matter? He's a free agent as well. Do you think these guys re-sign and they kind of try to run it back with the same crew? Or do you think they might try to upgrade? And then on the Eagles side of things, we've just seen the emergence of Devontae Smith this year. Um, him and AJ Brown are quite a, a one, two punch and, and pretty much, you know, equaled each other in yards and in receptions. Devonte Smith had seven yard or seven receptions for a hundred yards. AJ Brown had six receptions for 96 yards and a touchdown. Uh, is this the best wide receiver duo in the league? Um, and then you, you throw Dallas Goddard in on that. He seems to have a really nice connection with, um, Jalen Hurts, do you think he's a top five tight end heading into next season? <clears throat> I'll start with the Chiefs. Um, you know, I'm not obviously any part of the front office at all, but I think with the, you know, the performance of Juju and catching those big plays and drawing that big penalty, 
Um, you know, I, I think that it is really somebody I, I, I don't personally like him as a person with all of his TikToks and everything he did and, you know, with the Steelers, but I, I think that he's a big enough household name that you at least sign him for another year, maybe give him a two year deal. Um, but honestly, you know, in regards to like the, the vets, like MVS, like, I think you have to upgrade your receiving core. Um, Kelsey's getting a little bit older, so we'll see how he, you know, how he comes off this next season. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be just fine personally, but you know, if there's any kind of decline in Kelsey's game or his performance, or maybe he gets injured or anything like that, then, you know, you need more guys than just him to be able to step up. So, you know, Justin Watson, I believe he's a rookie. I know Sky Moore is a rookie. If you are going to re-sign Kadarius Tony, um, So, you know, you have these younger guys for a little bit longer. So I think that you save the money and you go elsewhere from Valdez Scantling. And if you really want to solidify yourself as a, you know, as a, as a Super Bowl favorite, then you go out and get yourself a high profile receiver or even a middle of the road receiver. I think that you need to do something though. Um, Cause I don't want to say that the chiefs got lucky because you, they have Patrick Mahomes, but you know, on paper, the Eagles did have a better team. They just, the chiefs managed to come out with a victory. So I, I think you need to, if you want to continue to press that, I think you have to make a move to get somebody at the receiving core to be able to, you know, help Patrick Mahomes. That's not Travis Kelsey. And like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Juju, but he did come up big in this game um, against the Eagles for the Super Bowl, which was, you know, for his career was nice to see. Um, heading over to the Eagles side, I, I love Devontae Smith. I love AJ Brown. These are two guys that I'm looking forward to drafting in a, a redraft league um, because, you know, I think that they're going to be keepers in my other leagues. So in a redraft league, these are two guys that I'm definitely looking toward. I have AJ, I had AJ Brown this past year and he's been phenomenal for me. I really like him as a player. Um, I think going to the Eagles from uh, Tennessee was really big for him. I think that gave him, you know, more of a reason to want to play and to want to play efficiently and show them like, Hey, I'm a top receiver in this league. And I love Dallas Goddard when healthy. I definitely think that he could be a top five, top six tight end. I think he's up there with the Travis Kelsey's and if Mark Andrews doesn't bounce back, like the Mark Andrews, like if, if Dallas Goddard is my tight end, I'm ha- like, I'm personally happy. And my receiving core, if I have one of the two AJ Smith or AJ Brown and Devonte Smith and Dallas Goddard, if I have that stack of those two, I'm honestly happy with that too. Um, I wouldn't draft them personally, um, like all three of them, just because I don't want all the you know, a bunch of people from the same team, but they are very, very efficient. Um, as for the, the best duo in the league, um, I would, I'd say that's, that's, I, I, I definitely think they're in the top three. I'm trying to think of who else, um, you know, I, I go like Ty, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, maybe. Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking my number one would be the Bengals receivers in Jamar Chase Ooh. and T Higgins. I think that those two are absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, and, and I think they just play so well, just like just like Devontae and, and AJ play with uh, Jalen. I think that that Jamar Chase and Higgins play so well with 
with uh, Joe Burrow that like it just ends up working out so perfectly for that team. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely would rate them in the top three, maybe even ahead of Tyreek and, and Jalen a little bit, just because I need to see Jalen a little bit more. But I was super impressed this year with Devontae. And even last year before they had A.J. Brown, he did super well last year as, as well. And I think that was his rookie year. Um, but, yeah, like this this is exactly what you were hoping for and what you were asking for out of these guys um, in the Super Bowl. I mean, seven catches out of nine targets for Devontae. Uh, six catches on eight targets for AJ Brown and both of them made fantastic long deep ball catches and AJ Brown's went for the touchdown, which was absolutely phenomenal. So um, I love them going forward, but um, yeah, I I don't think I would say that they're the best duo, but I I think that they're definitely in the argument for it. Um, Best Super Bowl commercial. Did you have an opinion? (laughs) Best Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think because honestly, I think I forgot. Like I forgot about a lot of them. Agreed. Um, because I, I don't. I was. I mean, I was just doing other things, and like I don't know. I feel as though that the commercials weren't. They haven't been as good these past, you know, four or five years as they were when we were growing up. Like I remember, like before I got really into football, I would watch the Super Bowl, and I would actually watch it for the commercials specifically before I started watching, you know, football you know, just like I said, like the fact that they weren't even that memorable to where I'm like, yeah, I love that one. Like the, the one with, um, I think it was for GMC with, uh, Will Ferrell driving the truck through the, like, the zombies. Like that one was kind of funny, but other than that, I really don't have like any other ones that I can like remember. What about yeah, you? I like, uh, Michelob ultra commercial with all the athletes playing golf. I think it was uh, Serena Williams was playing golf. Tony Romo was there. Steph Curry, maybe. I was trying to think of all the guy, uh, all the people that were in that commercial, but it was like all this crazy stuff that was going on on the golf course, and um, they eventually had to sink a putt, and uh, they got really close, and then Tony Romo opened a, a bottle of Michelob Ultra, and it shook the ground, and it went in. I, I don't know if you saw that one, but I, I don't like know that. if I I don't know if I did. There was like a ton of people in it. I thought it was cool. Um, that's the only one that really sticks out to me. Um, and then give a grade Super Bowl halftime show with Rihanna. What what what's your grade? Um, I mean, I'd say it was a B. Like I liked it. I mean, I yeah. like Rihanna. I think it was pretty good. Um, you know, the fact that she did that while she was pregnant, I think, is really impressive. Which is you know good for her. Um, but you know, it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I feel, I feel as though it was a little bit like they, I, I feel as though every Super Bowl they try a little bit too hard. Um, so, you know, I'm really never impressed, too impressed with it personally, but it's also because I'm not like a huge Rihanna fan, just like I wasn't a huge weekend fan. Yeah, I kind of agree. I give it a B plus and a, a big part of that is because she did what she did pregnant, which yeah, incredible with my wife. Not being- easy. No, my wife, my wife is seven months pregnant, so uh, I, I give her a lot of props because, yeah, it's it's, man, I can't even imagine. But uh, any other final thoughts, football wise, on on the uh, Super Bowl? Um, no, I mean it was it was really it was it was fun to watch. I think it was a really good game. Um, a lot of people are complaining about, you know, obviously I just want to talk briefly about the holding call at the end of the game. A lot of people are talking about, you know, it wasn't a penalty. It was a penalty. I think, you know, from a personal, from a personal standpoint, 
no matter whether it was or wasn't, I just think that at that point of the game, it's such a large game. I just don't think that you make that call. I think that you make, you know, I think that you let that one go because it is the fourth quarter, two minutes, two and a half minutes left in the Super Bowl. Like that call basically sealed the deal for the game. It really gave them the right. opportunity to run the clock down. And, you know, it was just so, you know, it was just so anticlimactic. The The next four plays or five plays was like two runs and three kneels. You know, it's just like, <clears throat> I understand that if it's a foul, it's a foul. You know, if you should throw it, you should throw it. But I also think that in these big games, just like in the NBA playoffs, like in the NBA finals, like you let those ticky, not ticky tack. I don't want to call it that, but you let those other calls go and you let them play on. So that's kind of my only gripe. And that has nothing to do with like, obviously the fact of betting, you know, you know, betting purposes really ended the game for a lot of people, but just in general, I think that it would have been more, I think it would have been more dramatic and a better showing if, you know, they kick the field goal, they go up 38, 35, and then Jalen Hurts has a chance to come downfield and tie for overtime or, you know, potentially get a touchdown for the win, uh, you know, with, with the two and a half minutes. So that's just my only other thing, you know, but again, to each their own. Yeah, you know, and it comes down to, like, if you're in the school of thought, like, well, in a bigger game, you shouldn't call that penalty, then should it ever be called? Like, that's, like, it doesn't matter if it's week one and the game doesn't really matter or if it's the Super Bowl. Like, if it's a foul, it's a foul. But, so that's why I'm, like, I'm not a big fan of, like, changing it based on how big the game is. Like, I think you can just kind of follow the rules. But I agree, like, I think too many fouls are being called in the NFL and, and it's getting to the point where almost every other play there's a flag and I'm like, come on now, it's a physical sport. Let them play the game. If it's clearly dangerous and deliberate, I get it. But like just a little tiny tug or something like that, like you got to allow the defender to, to have that leeway in my opinion. So I, again, I don't think it should have been called, but I don't think it should ever be called. I, like I, I don't think that type of foul should be called in the NFL. But yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all, and that's and that's the other thing is you know, and a lot of people say, and I say it too. Like you can technically call holding on a lineman every single play. Like there's some oh. sort of holding on every single play, regardless. So like, you know, that's when it comes down to, you know, again, I don't want to call it ticky tack, but that's the only word I can think of. Like. You just, I think that you have to decide, you know, whether to let those kind of things play out or how much it affects the play, like how, how impactful it is. Cause like, you know, you look at, you know, a great example that I was talking to other people about is like basketball. Every time somebody goes to the rim and does a layup and misses, they're like, Oh, I'm fouled. I'm fouled. It's every single play with every yep. single player. And it kind of is the same way in football, like in third down, third and five, third and 10, like every play it's like, well, where's the flag? Where's the flag? I think that also comes down to like, they're just expecting it so much that like, you know, it's like, well, where is it? Where is it? You know, where is it? Like LeBron, for example, like yep. almost every single play, it's like, where's my foul? Where's my foul? And, you know, again, that slows the game down and it really, it, it really impacts the game. So I agree with you. I, I think that there should be less calls, less foul calls, penalty calls in all sports. I think it would make the games go faster. Uh, you would keep that pace of the game going and you keep the momentum going. Like when you have to stop and do fouls or stop and review things and stop and do penalties, I think is a really big, uh, really big thing in, in sports. Yeah. I mean, 
at the end of the day, sports is an entertainment industry and, and no one wants to go to a sporting event or watch a sporting event on television where a guy's going to the free throw line 10, 15 times a game. Like no one wants to see that. We want to see live action, one-on-ones, you know, big plays, big shots. Same thing in the NFL. We don't want to see the referee on our screen every other play telling us what happened and telling us that it was a foul or reviewing a catch or something. It's just so dragging on and it's just, it's so annoying. It takes away from the game. It takes away from the sport. And, and I'm on the opinion of like, if you're a lineman, you should be able to do whatever you want to do to stop a defender from getting to your quarterback. Like if you want to like go and chop block them, great, do it. If you want to go and push the guy to a ground, do it. If you want to grab his jersey so he doesn't get to your guy, do it. Like, I get, like, safety of players, um, and there has to be a certain degree of, like, if you're doing something that is endangering the player, sure. But, like, that's your job as a lineman. And to have, like, all these restrictions on, well, you can't pull with outside of the, the frame of the body and blah, 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 like, like some of these fouls, I'm like, yeah, but like that's their job is to protect the quarterback and to do whatever it takes to protect the quarterback. So, again, I know they do a lot of this for safety reasons and whatnot, but like these are guys that are putting their body on the line for millions of dollars. And I just feel like you got to let the boys play. Let the boys play. Nevertheless, uh, if you don't have anything else to say about the Super Bowl, we can we can move on to uh, our fantasy football awards 2022 show. Na, 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 na. That's yeah. Right. yeah, so um, you know we, we me and Colin talked about it, and we want to talk about you know who we believe the fantasy um, MVP are at each position. Um, and you know, the way I categorized it was not just whoever was the number one ranked, you know, position ranked, but who really, you know, looking at maybe a stretch of games or, you know, a stretch of games or a stretch of performances or how they played, which would make you put them as a fantasy MVP at that position. Cause it's easy to be the number one ranked person and say that person's the MVP of that position, but it's even harder to make a case for a person who's not position rank number one. So um, those are definitely things that, um, you know, to keep in, keep in mind as we go forward with it. Uh, but Colin, I will start with you. Um, and we'll start with the quarterback MVP. Um, who do you have as your quarterback MVP? And if you have a, uh, you know, a reason why I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I also looked at this as like a player that, you know, wasn't drafted first at the position or like someone that maybe slipped down draft boards because people were expecting them to have a bad year or something like that. So I kind of put that into my factoring on the uh, the MVP award as well. So my pick was Jalen Hurts, um, and I hate to go with, you know, Super Bowl quarterback here, but <laughs> not being drafted as a top, three quarterback heading into the season. I think he was probably drafted around quarterback six or seven or so um, in, in the middle rounds in our league. If I'm not mistaken, it was kind of in that fourth, fifth round where he got drafted. Of course, the Josh Allen's and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrows, I think were already off the board at that point um, or like Josh 
Herbert, I think, coming into the season was a lot of hype around him. But, yeah, Jalen Hurts, you know, there's still a lot of question marks around him heading into the season. And there were rumors that if he, he didn't play well, that he would be benched or traded or, like, may, they weren't really sure if this was really their guy. You know, it was him and Tua that both kind of had that, that kind of my, mindset around them. Like, we're not really sure this is the guy of the future. I think Jalen Hurts put all that doubt aside this year, um, both in real football and in fantasy football. Not only can this guy do things with his legs that most quarterbacks cannot, but I think he showed in the in the Super Bowl that he also has an arm, and he's got some great wide receivers to throw to that I think at times make him look better than maybe he actually is as a passer. Um, but that's what a wide receiver's job is. So um, for him to step up and have as many rushing touchdowns as he did this year, and he, it's essentially two players in one. And, and we've talked about this on the show before where – if you have a quarterback that's really mobile and has a great arm, it's it's like two players in one. And, you know, I'm getting ready for fantasy baseball season, which I'm really big into. And on ESPN, Shohei Otani is a two-way player. You can use him as a, a pitcher and you can use him as a batter. That makes him the most valuable player in fantasy baseball because you literally can use them as two players. And, and that's kind of how I feel about mobile quarterbacks is they are Absolutely. two players a running back and and a quarterback so you get double the points and, and Jalen Hurts I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was kind of the most commonly owned quarterback uh, on most playoff teams in fantasy football which we'll talk about uh next week yeah I love that I love that reasoning behind it and I, I definitely agree with you and you know that was somebody that I had um you know in our in our Brunswick league that I had the previous year and I was debating on whether to keep him or not um, you know, and, I, and Matt ended up taking him right before I did. I was going to take him that same round. Um, I think it was the fifth or sixth round um, of the draft. So technically the third, it would have been our third draft pick, the third or fourth draft pick. Um, you know, I was talking about him there because, you know, Matt was like, hey, who are you thinking? And, then, you know, being a good friend, I told him, I was like, honestly, I'm looking at Jalen Hurts. I saw who went off the, the board. I drafted Jalen Hurts really late in the round the year beforehand. So I wanted him again and he was taken right from underneath me. And, you know, and those are, those are crazy. Think of like, man, like that's like, that's somebody that I should have drafted the round before looking back at it now. But again, hindsight's 2020. Um, my quarterback MVP is somebody who throws a lot of interceptions. If he were to cut down half of inter- his interceptions, he might be the number one ranked uh, fantasy quarterback, but instead he's the number two ranked fantasy quarterback there was uh four weeks when he got under 20 fantasy points one week he got 19.6 his lowest performance uh fantasy wise was 17.68 points so that oh no i'm sorry uh 12 12 and a half uh i forgot that he he did not do very well against cleveland um you know go brown so that stout defense that we got here go brown Um, but, but other than that you know, when your lowest week as a quarterback for your fantasy quarterback is 17 points, that means that position. And uh, my fantasy MVP is Josh Allen. Um, and for many of the reasons Colin mentioned is he does a lot with his legs. He's a very big physical guy and he plays on an amazing offense. So this is somebody who, you know, he's, he's someone that has kept every year in our keeper league 
for that exact reason. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Hurts is kept this year, but I think Matt has other problems, other people that he wants, to, not problems, but I think he has other people he wants to keep. But in regards to Josh Allen, I mean, he like he's on a fantastic offense. They throw the ball a lot, and he is consistently throwing touchdowns. He carries the ball extremely efficiently. He rushes the ball extremely efficiently in the end zone like Jalen Hurts does. And he's if he's your quarterback, you're extremely happy every single week. Even in week 18, they played against New England. He threw for 254 yards. Mind you, this was a week before they were – or two weeks before they had to play the Bengals. 254 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, nine carries for 16 yards, 21 fantasy points. He averaged 24.7 fantasy points this season. And that's at the number two ranked spot. So, you know, imagine going down. Even if you're at the eighth ranked spot, if that person's getting you 16, 17 points, that's not bad for a quarterback. But that's, again, seven or eight points less than what someone like Josh Allen can give you. And that's why, um, you know, having an amazing quarterback like Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen is so vital to your fantasy team just because of those reasons. And I mean, health. He was healthy all season. He played every single game this this year besides the game against Cincinnati in week 17. And who knows what could have happened if they if that game would have pursued. He could have been the number one ranked fantasy quarterback um, at the position, but he got to play one less game. So even that was um, absolutely incredible for performance. So again, that's somebody I like in a redraft league. I absolutely love Josh Allen. He might be somebody that I might target earlier than I normally would just to get that sound that sound player and that sound performance every week. We are MVP fantasy running backs. And, um, you know, I will go first on this one. Um, This guy is somebody who I believe faced a lot of adversity um, because of his health. Um, He did not fall in drafts. He has not fallen in drafts in the past four years, even missing so many games. He got traded to a playoff contender from a team that was, um, I think, 31st or 32nd in offense through the whole year, uh, even before they traded him. And that is Christian McCaffrey. He is a dual threat and absolutely incredible in a PPR league. Like He... um, that he catches six, seven, eight passes a game, especially in that um, 49ers offense. As long as he continues to stay healthy, I think that he's going to be a, a top one, top two running back going forward as long as he stays healthy. Again, he's just he's, – he's Christian McCaffrey. If he's on the field, like if you're playing against him, he can go for 30 fantasy points and they could be – easily get that and if you get that out of somebody like a running back where you know you're as you're running back one you're running back two you're just hoping can carry some of the load to help you from a fantasy perspective um but even on like low volume carries he still managed to find receptions and receiving yards he's very shifty he was gonna come in as the quarterback when san francisco lost both of theirs uh brock purdy and um, I'm sorry, I forgot his the uh, the backup quarterback's name. Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, no, no, no. This was uh, in the playoffs, not Garoppolo. Oh, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson. Sorry. So even when the both of them went down, they were considering having Christian McCaffrey go back there and throw passes. That's how versatile this guy is. 
Um, and, you know, we'll talk about him in pre-draft rankings, but this is somebody that I always value extremely high. I've never had him on any of my teams because I do not get the, I do not end up with the first or second or third pick uh, to where he's there for me, but he is somebody that I would target very heavily. Um, but that's why I rank him as, you know, my MVP, just because being able to go from the Carolina Panthers team over to a brand new team, learn the playbook in less than a week, come out and then be gun uh, gun ho for your playoff run and he really did i mean week 15 25 points week 16 a little lesser at 13 week 17 31 fantasy points like that's your playoff that's basically your playoff stretch right there for fantasy for for most leagues and if you start at week 14 29 fantasy points so like for an mvp to really push you through to your finals or to win your championship Christian McCaffrey is definitely somebody that I value extremely high every single year. The only question ever is never his performance. It's always his health. Uh, Colin, who do you have anything to say about Christian McCaffrey? Definitely do so if you wanted to add anything. Um, Otherwise, who is your MVP running back? Yeah, you know, with Christian McCaffrey, the only thing that – it's holding him back has always been his health. I mean, he's just an incredible player and, you know, to have the injury history that he had in, in Carolina was always the reason why some people would steer clear of him in drafts. But if you drafted him this year, you weren't expecting him to be on the 49ers, but uh, you were expecting that level of, of production. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward if that level of production continues especially with him splitting carries with Elijah Mitchell. But um, he's just in such an, a dynamic player out of the backfield, catching passes. He's explosive, and he'll continue to score touchdowns and be well worth a first-round pick. Um, my fantasy MVP, again, came out of nowhere this year and was so overlooked in our draft personally in our league that uh, he got auto-drafted to our friend Elijah. And uh, so many people kind of snickered like, haha, Elijah got stuck with uh, Josh Jacobs. But um, Josh Jacobs had such an incredible season. He finished as the third overall uh, fantasy running back, averaging just under 20 points a game. Um, you know, looking at his game log here, I mean, he nearly rushed for 1,700 rushing yards on 340 attempts. I know my boy Dana loves his high volume rushers and Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs had, you know, nearly 15 to 20 carries a game. Um, you know, going through the season, he had some big time performances that probably individually won you weeks, which I think is what makes him the MVP. He in week four had 34 and a half points in week five against the Super Bowl champions, Kansas city. He had 30 points. Houston, he had 36 in week seven, um, you know, 48 points against Seattle in Seattle um, in week 12. So, you know, you look for a difference maker on your team and, and sometimes having a player like that makes up for a couple dud performances that are bound to happen from your other players. Um, so, you know, that's why I kind of leaned him over the likes of Austin Eckler, who ended up being the number one overall running back this year because Josh Jacobs just kind of came out of nowhere, really surprised people, slipped down draft boards. So if you were lucky enough to kind of take a chance on him, he, he probably rewarded you in a big way. And in particular in our league, you know, helped Elijah get to the semifinals of our entire league. So 
Um, you know, it's going to be interesting heading into next season where he is, um, you know, based on this ESPN report from January 9th, it says that he hopes to re-sign with the Raiders. Uh, but, uh, you know, that hasn't happened yet, and I don't think it's going to happen until they figure out their quarterback situation. It's definitely not going to be Derek Carr. Um, and, and Josh Jacobs could probably go out on the market and, and get a huge payday if he wanted to and could potentially go to a, a much more Super Bowl-ready team if that is his aspiration. So um, I'll be interested to see where he lands and if he can kind of replicate this performance. Was this a contract year um, type performance as we see oftentimes in the NFL and in other sports where players perform to their absolute maximum ability in their contract year because they want to get a big payday and then they kind of taper off after that. So um, for that reason, even though he's my MVP, like I'd be a little weary to draft him next year, depending on where he's going to land. Um, and I think his value is going to now skyrocket into the probably the second round. Um, so you'd have to, to pay a, a pretty penny and a premium for him. But his season this year, shocking, incredible, and uh, well-deserving of, of my fantasy MVP. <clears throat> yeah, I feel the exact same way as you do on Josh Jacobs, and I felt the exact same way before the draft. That's why I think he fell as far as he did for being a starting running back on a, you know, projected decent uh, Las Vegas Raiders team. He, we just, he has always gotten that value, but this year he's really volume, not value. He's always gotten that volume at, at the at rushing attempts at the helm, but he's never had that kind of production like he did this year. So I definitely think, you know, in regards to running backs, he earned himself, um, you know, some money, which I think is going to, you know, pers- you know, persuade him to maybe move somewhere else, maybe play for a more contending team um, because he's getting up there in age. And I don't think he has that many good years left. And I'm afraid that he's going to end up turning into like an Ezekiel Elliott where he just kind of falls off the, the limb and just starts to run the ball consistently and um, like run the ball consistently and then have um, someone like a Zamir White come in and take over just like Tony Pollard is. Yeah, there was a lot of reports this offseason that Samir White was going to kind of step up and, and take over the lead back role in, in, in Las Vegas. I almost said Oakland. But um, it it just never happened, never came to fruition. doesn't mean it won't happen next year. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't have a lot of faith in Zamir White. Um, I, th- I think they just kind of decided to ride the hot hand when Josh Jacobs was hot, and it just continued. And I, I think it even caught the Raiders by surprise. Um but when a player's hot, you got to keep giving them the ball. And, and he was he was on fire this year. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, so on to wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I could go with somebody obvious like Justin Jefferson, who eclipsed 1,800 yards, had eight touchdowns and 128 receptions, which is absolutely incredible. The fact that he could do that with, uh, you know, someone who's not – an elite quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, which is absolutely amazing. And just, um, you know, talks volumes about him as a player himself. But um, I want to mention somebody else. Um, and I want to see if you can guess who this player is based off of just some stats alone. Um, he finished with 106 reception, uh, 106 receptions, 
1,161 yards, six touchdowns, and his quarterback had the absolute stud of a year after being traded from a previously from, from a team that drafted him and then went on to win the Super Bowl. Can you guess this receiver? Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra St. Brown. I am picking him as my MVP for wide receiver just because of the the combination of him and Jared Goff and what they were able to do this year. You know, of course he had a few bad games. So um, without, again, without picking the obvious and Justin Jefferson, just talking about how great he is. I want to talk about how great Amon Ross St. Brown is and the value and where you drafted him, um, you know, absolutely incredible. Um, I think that he's going to be fantastic these next, these next coming years. And the fact that Motor City, Dan Campbell has these guys playing at such a high level. And, you know, even though they didn't make the playoffs, they came back from having a such a porous season two years ago. And that was when they traded for um, Jared Goff. And right after that, they got rid of Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford went to Los Angeles and won them a, a championship. So, you know, obviously when that happens, like your team is kind of in the dumps. You're like, wow, we just traded our franchise quarterback that we've had for so long for somebody else and some picks. This person, they go ahead and win the Super Bowl next. Like, is it us? Is it us? And the fact that they were able to turn that season around and especially beat Green Bay in the last game to prevent them from making the, the playoffs, um, I think talks wonders about this team. And I am really, really excited to watch them play this next year, um, them Detroit being just north of us. Um, but just some some highlights from his year. Against Jacksonville, week 13, 11 catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns on 12 targets. Week one, he came out of the gates, eight catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown on 12 targets. Week two, he did well again. Nine catches, 116 for two touchdowns. He is a target matchup nightmare. Just he's big, he's long, he's lanky, and he can catch the ball. And I'm, I'm super excited to watch Amon Ra play this next year and definitely somebody that I think is going to skyrocket in the draft rating. I think that he's going to be drafted as a top 10 wide receiver, if not in the top eight or maybe even sooner than that. Yeah. Um, he did end up finishing as the position ranked as the seventh ranked uh, wide receiver this, this past year. Yeah. He really came out of nowhere at the end of the 2021 season um, and, and really picked it up uh, as a rookie. And then coming into drafts this year, people were really skeptical. Can this guy continue doing this at a high level? He seems to have a really good connection with Jared Goff. Um, and, and he kind of fell in drafts a little bit. He was kind of like a fifth-round pick somewhere in that range. People weren't really sure like if he could live up to the hype. I think he answered um, for sure. I, I think it's a great selection. My biggest worry, um, he only scored touchdowns in four games. Um, and two of those games, he had two touchdowns. So if you're looking for that big time, you know, 39 point performance or 34 point performance, like he had in those two games, I mean, man, that could win you a week on his own. Um, it, it's the, the lack of touchdown scoring that worries me, uh, especially cause it does seem like if they get down in the red zone, they're giving the ball to Jamal Williams. Um, you know, but in a PPR league, he's got a ton of receptions, a ton of targets. Um, volume. Yeah, you can't. Love the volume. Um, and really only had 
maybe two dud performances the whole whole year. Um, one against Dallas, which is understandable, uh, great defense, and the other against New England, who is notorious for shutting down uh, wide receivers. So uh, I like him heading into next season. I think it's a nice pick. For sure. Um, let me hear about your fantasy wide receiver MVP. Yeah, so my fantasy wide receiver MVP, I want you to guess here since we're, we're playing a guessing game. See what clues I can give you. Um, he switched teams in the offseason, and I'm sure he's regretting that now. Uh, I'm sure you already know who it is. But um, there was a lot of questions around whether or not he would have a connection with his new quarterback. The quarterback had a lot of questions around him. Can this guy even play quarterback in the NFL level? Should we replace him with Tom Brady? Um, it, you know, this guy... Is he even going to play next year? Because he had so many concussions. But um, clearly I'm talking about Tyreek Hill. And to switch teams, one, was just the blockbuster trade of the the offseason last year. No one saw it coming. Um, You know, Tyreek, Kelsey, and Mahomes just seemed like this dynamic trio that was going to, you know, ride it all the way until the end of their careers. And then – Tyreek goes to Miami and that completely changes everything. But I think there was a lot of worry about would he continue to get the volume that he got in Kansas city because of the likes of Jalen Waddle and because can Tua do it. He had 119 receptions this year uh, on 170 targets. I love that. Uh, 1700 yards, only seven touchdowns, but again, big time performances week two at 42 points. Uh, week four, 25, um, week six, 29. Like, this is what you want from your wide receiver one. Um, and very limited dud performances. Um, he only had two games the entire season under 10 points. So, you know, to have that consistency, to have those levels of targets, even in an offense where you have Jalen Waddle, um, you know, I think he answered the questions of who is the main receiver in this offense. And it, it clearly is Tyree kill and he's still got a lot of juice left in the engine. Um, I like him as a late round first round pick next year in drafts and probably uh, feel a little bit more comfortable taking him in the second round, but yeah, to finish wide receiver two uh, with Tua as your quarterback and for half the season, not having Tua uh, and having to, to ride with, you know, the backups there uh, thinks it kind of shows that he's quarterback proof and it shows that what he can do with his legs is just uncomparable to any other wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. So um, I like Tyreek Hill. He's getting up there in age, but uh, what a season for him. And, you know, if you were fortunate enough for him to kind of fall to you, because again, he got traded. So he kind of fell in drafts this year, kind of third round, fourth round. Um, you're very happy that you uh, were fortunate enough to draft him. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think I know your answer to it, but I'm just going to quickly ask, is he quarterback proof? Is Tyreek Hill quarterback proof? Yeah, I think he is. Um, Obviously he went from Patrick Mahomes, who's, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league right now to Tua, who I think Tua had a very good season. Um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. um, And obviously very, 
unfortunate all the injuries that he endured. But I think he answered the questions of can he be an NFL quarterback? He is. Um, and whether that was adding Tyreek Hill and using his his expertise and his weaponry um, to your advantage. But, yeah, I mean, I think he is quarterback proof. I don't think it would matter if, you know, <laughs> Charlie Fry was throwing him the ball um, for <laughs> Even Browns fans out there, I think he would still be a dynamic wide receiver. Yeah, I I, I agree with you as well. Um, yeah, so fast. I mean, absolutely, incredibly fast, and that's what it helps. You know, if you can get somebody like Patrick Mahomes, and even Tua showed it a little bit that he can air it out. I mean, he blows by people. Like he he does when he does double moves, like he's blowing right by him, and he's open. And you know, a few times he had to slow down to catch the ball, which is absolutely incredible. Um, We'll go ahead and move on to the tight end position. And, um, you know, this this is somebody that I had to – I mean, he is, he is the number one ranked tight end, and that's for a reason. Um, he finished the year playing 17 games, 206 fantasy points from the tight end position. And we talk every single week about how volatile the tight end position is. Colin, I'm going to tell you the number – 10 ranked tight end um, in fantasy football wise. And I want you to guess how many he had. Okay. So the number 10 ranked tight end is Dallas Goddard. He played 12 games this season. How many fantasy points do you think he got being number 10? um, Man, like 150. 87. Oh, 86.2. That is the Ooh. number 10 ranked fantasy tight end. And the person that is my MVP is Travis Kelsey. I mean, I have to. The, the reason why I have to is the next closest person at number two, George Kittle with 140 fantasy points. There's a 60-point difference between Travis Kelsey and the next rated tight end. After him, Taysom Hill at 136 and he's not even basically a tight end. He's a quarterback slash tight end for New Orleans. Um, it's just the the value that he, that he gives you is just absolutely insane on a week-to-week basis. And it's just so hard to get around it. Like, I'm looking at these numbers here. Evan Ingram, somebody that I know we're going to talk about in future podcasts um, about his performance. In games, and he had 3.9. That is half the amount of points Travis Kelsey got in in this in this whole NFL fantasy football season. If you you know, if you put that in regards to fantasy points scored and averages, Travis Kelsey averaged twelve points a game. If you had even Pat Fryermuth, who had a very good season, he averaged five point seven fantasy points a game. So if you have Travis Kelsey on your team and you're playing against an opposing person and they have Pat Fryermuth, on average you're beating them already by seven points off this one position. And to me, that is the ultimate that is the ultimate explanation of an MVP. He wins you games, he wins you leagues. Like it, it's it's absolutely incredible. Um he's a, a Cleveland boy gotta love him he just won himself another super bowl played against his brother but you know he's he's just always open whenever i swear whenever i watch him play not even just the super bowl but he's the designed plays for him he's just always open and he's able to catch the ball make moves and streak and give you another 5 10 15 yards um so it's just 
at the at the position being the way it is, getting 206 fantasy points over the course of 17 games, just being durable and healthy is a whole nother game itself. And him being able to be out there and do that for you is just, I mean, I, I have to. I, I had to. I was trying to pick other people for each position that, you know, weren't the obvious ones. But this is one I just couldn't. I couldn't go around Travis Kelsey. Um, Colin, do you have anything to add in those regards? And then go ahead and tell me your uh, tight end MVP. Yeah, knowing that you would pick Travis Kelsey, I decided to not pick Travis Kelsey. Had to. But I had you, to. You have to pick Travis Kelsey. Like, it, he, he might even be just the fantasy football MVP. Like, which is why, again, like the CBS Fantasy Football podcast that I listen to pretty religiously, they're like, why not take him number one overall? Like, just get it out of the way. Make sure you get this guy because every single year he outperforms the next closest tight end by a hundred some points. Like, it's incredible what um, he has done. Just the consistency. He's probably the greatest tight end in NFL history. Um, and, and that's saying something because you got the likes of Gronkowski, you got the likes of Tony Gonzalez, you got the likes of so many other great tight ends. But um, he's just so consistent and what he can do um, to get himself open is just unreal. And he, he does it at the highest level. He, do, he does it on Super Bowl Sunday. Like that's and he makes it look easy and he's just so confident and uh, he's quite a character uh, <laughs> as well. So. But, uh, you know, just to be different, I, I did pick someone who really benefited from a midseason trade. Um, and I think it really resurrected his career because coming into the NFL, he was drafted as a really high prospect. If I'm not mistaken, he was a first-round pick. You don't see too many tight ends get taken in the first round. Um, so already high pedigree, you know, high expectations, goes from a Detroit Lions team that, again, was really high-power offense, but he kind of just got lost behind the Amon Ross St. Browns and Jamal Williams of this season. And, you know, he, he gets traded to the Minnesota Vikings midway through the year, and it, it was the exact piece that the Minnesota Vikings needed to take that next step moving forward. They needed that secondary weapon behind Justin Jefferson because I don't need to rant anymore about Adam Thielen, but his his best days are behind him. Um, and I think TJ Hawkinson has stepped up into that number two role uh, in Minnesota. And you know, just an incredible season once he got traded. Because, you know, you look at his before the trade, you know, he had a, several dud performances, single-digit performances. But once he got traded in Minnesota, I mean, consistent, uh, you know, double digit points every single week, um, high target volume to have 16 targets in the uh, week 16 matchup with New York. You love to see that, but I mean, he's, he's averaging nine, six, six, eight, nine, 16, 12 targets every single week. Um, so in a high power pass first offense that Minnesota seems to be under their new coach, um, Kevin McConnell, um, like, I, I really like TJ Hawkinson heading into next season. And I, I pick him as my MVP this year just because of what he was able to do once he got to Minnesota. Um, and, and the tight end position, like you said, so volatile. If you had TJ Hawkinson and you held on to him through the, the ugly days of Detroit, you were very glad that you did because uh, he was a set in and forget it tight end for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't I can't agree with you more with the trade going from Detroit to Minnesota. And he did just fine in Detroit for the past few years. He's been a, a great, solid tight end every each and every year. But the fact that he goes to a, a higher-powered offense that throws the ball more, that can throw the ball a little bit more consistently also, and being you know basically the number two option there, I think going forward he's going to be a fantastic choice. And I, I really like Obviously, we're not allowed to all pick Travis Kelsey. Right. Um, let's... If you look at target volume, Dana, real quick, like Travis Kelsey had 152 targets this year. I mean, TJ Hawkinson had 130. So, I mean, he was only 20 targets behind him. So, it's, it's a high targeted tight end, and that's really what you want to look for because tight ends are not necessarily a high targeted position. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, volume. like you, you look at Cole Komet, like who ranked eighth this year at tight end, who was supposed to be an up and coming tight end. He had 70 targets. So like, it's, it's impressive to have almost double that um, for TJ Hawkinson. So definitely uh, him and Kirk Cousins hit it off. For sure. And, you know, again, uh, we talk every single, I can't stress enough of how much I love volume. If I can get a tight end, that's going to get me that kind of volume, you know, eight to 10 targets a game. Um, you know, or six to eight targets a game like that is absolutely incredible. Um, and especially if, if you if you have to pay a little bit more of a premium for him and you want to be solid at that position, I have no problem with it. I think that it's a really good move if you want to, you know, solidify top tight end getters. <clears throat> uh, lastly, um, we will uh, we'll, we'll do the, the our defensive MVPs and then we will go ahead and, and close out the show. Um, and I will uh, let you go ahead and start, Colin. Who is your defensive team MVP? Yeah, I'm really stuck between two because um, I know who you're going to pick because you, you love talking about them. Um, so I, I kind of went between the 49ers and the Eagles. Um, and just so I'm not a bandwagon fan, and based, based on their performance in the Super Bowl too, I just don't feel like I can – I can justify picking the Eagles. So I'm going to go with the 49ers. You know, they did have the defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. Is it Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa? I always mix them up. Nick Bosa. Joey plays for the Chargers. Yeah, yeah. I always mix them up. So Nick Bosa, incredible year, incredible pass rusher, but just an incredible defense the entire season. To average, um, you know, nine points a game fantasy-wise, that's a lot for a defense. And – to you know, have that consistency. There, there was only four defenses the entire year that scored more than 150 fantasy points. Um, so, it, you know, I'm not a guy that likes to draft defenses. You know, bleeding <laughs> drafts, and oftentimes they get overlooked or maybe sometimes overdrafted. But you know, if you can solidify your defense and you don't have to change it on a week to week basis, like you probably have the likes of the Eagles or the 49ers or the team that Dan is going to talk about. Um, But, you know, some big time performances too. Like you want a defense that avoids negatives and and you can't tell you how many times defenses get negative points. 49ers only got negative twice the entire season. Um, And they got double digits. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times throughout the season. So nearly half the season, they scored double-digit fantasy points, which is not a common thing for defenses to do. Um, And a lot of that was uh, high interception rate, 
high sack rate, of course, having Nick Bosa. Um, you get a, a point every sack um, and scored three different special teams or defensive touchdowns throughout the year. So um, you want a team that limits points, obviously scored against them. They only had a team score more than 20 points twice the entire season against them. 20 points. So you're limiting scoring, you're getting turnovers, uh, you're turning those turnovers into touchdowns. It's a no-brainer. The 49ers defense, they're well-coached. Now it's going to be interesting because uh, D'Amico Ryans has now accepted the job as the Houston Texans' new um, you know, head coach, which is well deserved, but they always just seem to find the next guy to replace him. I mean, it was Robert Sala that uh, eventually went over to the Jets the year before. So, if you want to be a head coach in the NFL, it sounds like being the defensive coordinator for the 49ers is, is a good bet. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, you know, the best defense, um, not fantasy wise, uh, because I'm going to talk about, you know, the front runner of the the fantasy best defense, but the actual best defense in actual football was the 49ers, hands down, without a doubt. Um, And, you know, that doesn't always matriculate into fantasy value. Um, Obviously, they're a great defense. They did extremely well. I think they were ranked the third. Uh, Yeah, they they were position ranked third in fantasy points for fantasy defenses. But, you know, in a game-to-game basis, the players on the 49ers, they don't care about fantasy value. They go out there and they make plays and they stop people. And they are absolutely incredible. They fly to the ball. They're, they're fantastic. They're also fun to watch. It's just really unfortunate, you know, in the game against the 49ers that they, their offense lost both of their quarterbacks and quarterbacks earlier in the season. And then they had Fred Warner go down. Like that hurts them a lot as as well. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. From an actual defense in football, yeah, absolutely MVP without a doubt. Um, The team I want to talk about is ran by Bill Belichick himself, and that is the Patriots defense. They were ranked position-wise number one against, um, you know, for fantasy value. And that's because of the amount of touchdowns they had over the course of the year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight touchdowns that the um, Patriots have gotten, whether that be a pick six, an interception for a touchdown, or a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Either way, that is is very impressive. And to be honest with you, Bill Belichick has always had a great defense. I I think it's something he prides himself on, but they get a lot of takeaways. They get a lot of sacks. They get to the quarterback. They're fast. Um, The, you know, the one downside to – the Patriots uh, and their defense is having to be on the field for so long when yep. your offense isn't that great. You give up a lot of points. Like, uh, you know, Colin just talked about how little points the 49ers gave up, which is obviously fantastic. But if the, if the Patriots had a better, more well-oiled offense, I don't think they could get to those kind of numbers stoppage wise that the 49ers did, you know, holding them below, you know, double digit points in most of their games. But I definitely think that 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 would increase their value fantasy wise, just in general and just overall, but they, you know, they also have, they're also in a really hard conference with having to play Miami twice. They play Miami twice. They play the jets twice, which are up and coming and they play Buffalo twice. Um, You know, so that division is extremely hard when you have to play those, those teams, you know, six out of 18 or 17 of your games in the year. Um, But I, I, I really, really do like, the Patriots a lot. They're somebody that I picked up off the waiver wire. 
Um, and I ended up running with them because of how well they did. Not one time this season did they go and get negative points. Um, obviously, they had a few games under – they had a lot of games under 10 points, but then they had a ton of games where they got a touchdown, an interception, um, you know, five or six sacks. Or against Indy, they got a touchdown, interception. They had nine sacks and a blocked punt. Like, it's – like, that was all one game, and that's something teams try to strive to do, you know, one time out of the year, and they did it one time as well. Um, but I, I really like the Patriots' defense. I think going forward they're going to be a very solid defense – and as I mentioned, I think a big thing about this defense to jump to the next level and get even more fantasy points is going to be if the offense can keep them off the field for, you know, any more than they already are out there. Because it's, it's, it's really easy to give up 37 points if you're constantly out there and having to play defense on these elite teams like Baltimore or Green Bay. As I mentioned, you have, you're playing against the Jets, you're playing against Buffalo and Josh Allen and Minnesota and stuff like that. Um, but defense, you know, it's really hard to want to draft the defense, as Colin mentioned, anywhere besides at the end of the draft. Um, you know, I always take a look at the teams, not only there's not only, you know, what they were ranked last year, but I like to look at team schedule and the strength of their schedule. And honestly, the Patriots are a, team, are, is a team's defense that I always overlook because of the, the strength of their schedule is always middle of the row to the bottom end, just because they have to play such hard teams every year. So, um, you know, I, I tend to stay away from them, but they fell to waivers or I think they fell to waivers and I picked them up at some point, but they obviously ended up working out really well for me. And that is why I picked them as the, um, the fantasy MVP for the defense. Um, so Colin, I will let you go ahead and uh, take back over and uh, get us out of here. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's been a really fun season uh, talking about fantasy football while football is actually on TV, but uh, we're going to continue talking fantasy football throughout the off season. Um, We're going to, you know, continue next week with more awards and um, some more standout players that we we think are are worth mentioning and, you know, heading in deeper into the off season, we'll start breaking down some of our teams and our fantasy football leagues, um, some players that we think they should keep or, you know, maybe even start breaking down some player profiles of, of who we might think st- might step up next year. Once the draft happens here, we'll, we'll start talking about how that shakes things out. Free agency will open up. So there is always something to talk about in terms of fantasy football. So if you're as crazy about it as we are, I uh, hope you keep listening to us. Um, but until next week, um, this was the uh, Point After Fantasy Football podcast. See ya. See ya.